Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, Welcome to Beyond the Mask. I'm Jeremy Stanley, and I've been working with CRNAs for over 23 years, and I'm married to one. And my co-host is... Sharon Pierce. Sharon's a practicing CRNA for over 20 years, a past president of the ANA, the NCANA, and she's held many other leadership roles. As usual, our goal with every episode is to educate and enlighten CRNAs, and I think our topic today is definitely going to do that. And Sharon, what time is it? It's time to wake up, Jeremy. I think it is. Well, Sharon, we're back together again. It's good to have you back in the studio with me today. Oh, yeah. You mean you didn't enjoy us being uh, about a continent apart during uh, our you last were too podcast. far away, you know. I mean, I'm used to you slapping me upside the head every once in a while. So, well, we you know. can arrange that if we need to. <laughs> well, we have a special treat today. Joining us on the show is uh, Miss Angela Mund. Angie, thank you for being here. I'm excited to be here with both of you today. Yeah, well, I know a lot of our listeners probably know who you are, but give us a little bit of background about you and uh, your rise in the CRNA community. All right. Well, I've been a CRNA for 22 years and obviously an ANA member for all of those. I kind of cut my teeth a little bit on healthcare policy when I served as the president of the Association of VA Nurse Anesthetists. And uh, I was really lucky to have good mentors who made learning about healthcare policy really fun. From there, I went on to uh, serving on two state boards of directors where I learned more, and then on some ANA committees to rising to president of the South Carolina Association of Nurse Anesthetists, and now I am the Region 2 Director for the AANA. Wow, and that's a mouthful. It kind of is. <laughs> well, you're going to be talking to us today about engaging new graduates in healthcare advocacy. And I think that's a very important topic, but why don't you tell us why you think it's important? Well, I think the biggest part of it now is, is I think pretty much everybody recognizes that in order to have an impact on all decisions that are made related to healthcare policy, and that includes everything from as basic as how we get our licensure to influencing healthcare initiatives that are related to patients receiving insurance for, for Medicare, Medicaid, or the private. And the only way that we as nurse anesthetists can play a role is really having an understanding of how we can be influential. Healthcare becomes more complex every single year, and we need to make sure that CRNAs have the tools to be influential at every single level that they want to be involved in. So what's the optimal route for nurses to study health policy, Angie? I know this is big in your program, but... So I, I think there's a couple things. The first thing is we need to have it introduced in our nursing programs. And I see more and more of that with students who are entering our, 
our doctoral nurse anesthesia programs. And then I think what is recognized by leadership in nursing education is that we need to make sure that programs are teaching it. And you can really see it very interwoven into doctoral programs since the Council on Accreditation required it. And they used to have that you had to just teach professional aspects. And now very clearly, all programs are required to ensure that our graduates can inform the public of the role in the practice of nurse anesthetists, that we need to evaluate how we do public making strategies, public policy making, how we advocate for health changes, and how we advance the specialty of nursing. And in my opinion, I think the perfect place to teach that is within our entry-level nurse anesthesia program so that we set the stage and the information so that students become empowered when they graduate and want to be engaged. So what I'm hearing is catch them while they're young? Yeah, I think so. And I think the best part of it, too, is not just catch them while they're young, but get them to get something important for themselves when they're young with it. Hmm. So if you make learning about healthcare policy just a normal part of being a professional nurse anesthetist, that's just how they're going to think about it. Angie, why or is, not think about it. Just yeah, the way it is. True. Well, why, is it, why do you think it's so important now? I think it's more important or it gets more important now is that we know that if we don't have a say in what's going on in healthcare policy now, it's going to influence us decades down the road. And we know that we can use the power of nursing. We're the most trusted profession every single year. But it's, it's perfect timing. I think that between some healthcare policy related regulation coming down from the federal government is going to be a, a good opportunity for us. We know that the healthcare dollar is getting more scarce. Again, a good opportunity for us. And that to me means that the time is now, but we need to make sure that we have an educated cadre of people who can do that. So how do we do that? How do we make sure that our cadre is indeed educated about um, healthcare policy? So one of the things that you'll see, and, and you'll see in the literature, and I think it works also experientially, is first what you need to do is ensure that students receive information. Because one of the barriers to not being involved is fear. So we need to teach them about how to how to be engaged, how to lobby effectively, how to not be afraid when you're talking to a legislator, how to be able to use health services research effectively. And we do that by providing information. And then the next thing we do is we obtain a commitment from students that they want to be involved. And then, then, then after that, what we need to do is the doing of it. Because we can teach healthcare policy all we want in a classroom didactic environment, but until students are out there actually lobbying and meeting with their senators and representatives and having people listen to what we have to say and what we do. And the first time that you see legislation pass that you've had a hand in, I think it is so incredibly professionally rewarding that they will continue to do that. So that the combination of information, commitment, the initiative and the doing will end up leading to lifelong involvement in healthcare policy. Hey, Angie, are there programs out there, you know, having a student in class and, you know, it's somewhat an expectation, I'm sure it's your program, like a lot of programs for them to be involved. But, you know, I hear so many CRNAs, you know, especially the ones that have been around a while say, you know, this political thing really turns me off. Are there programs in place to kind of help younger CRNAs or or new grads coming out to kind of help foster this in them? 
I think it's a little bit of a two-pronged approach that fits really well with what we're doing in entry-level programs is, again, the providing of information. I think the AANA does a great job at the mid-year assembly to providing that within the lecture kind of content. The other thing that's super important is the role of mentoring. I have, was very lucky that I had that in healthcare policy, and to me that's what makes people successful is watching somebody else doing it and then that person telling you that you can do it too. We have some mentoring for students on the ANA level, and I know some states have done some mentoring of new CRNAs. Minnesota is one of them that's done that in the past. I think that's important. I'm sure Sharon, with all her experience, has mentored CRNAs for years in the healthcare policy and advocacy level, both at the state level and at the national level. Actually, one of my mentees was Jeremy's wife when she was a student anesthetist. It was 2010. I was running for a Region 2 director. (laughs) She was my mentee. Everything goes full circle. But you didn't tell her to go out with me, Sharon. I I didn't. I didn't. I don't know that I would have pushed that on her, for God's sake. But, you know, Angie, you brought up something about mid-year assembly, which in my mind is the best meeting that the AANA puts on and whenever you go to mid-year assembly and you go out onto the Capitol and you're doing exactly what you just talked about earlier I tell people all the time I don't need an airplane to get back home I swear I think I can fly back home with my own arms because (laughs) you're just so excited about going up there so do you let your students go to that meeting is it mandatory as I've heard and <laughs> Angie Mon <laughs> mandatory for your students to go. <laughs> so you know it's interesting is I think well I know that people need to take ownership of their learning. So I require them to go to two meetings. Mm-hmm. A state meeting or a national meeting. I don't require mid year. That's where the thing came from is Dr. Mund will tell you it's not mandatory to go to mid year, but it is mandatory. Mm-hmm. But I think when they have ownership of going, whether they're paying their own way and we're setting them up with mentors, is that creates an initiative and a commitment to do it again versus being forced to go. And then what I find is when one class goes, they have such an amazing time, just like what you talked about, Sharon, is that they pass that word down to the next class and then to the next class. And it really becomes a self-perpetuating event. All my students go and they all pay their way, but they go because of the incredible experience of mentoring and networking and learning about how you can be influential in healthcare policy. It takes care of itself. Now, not all programs do that. I know that yours is head and shoulders above, and it's unfortunate that a lot of the programs don't buy into that. Well, I I think we're going to see more of that now that the council really has changed from having a professional issues type content to really requiring things related to healthcare policy, economics, and all of those things that make us a good consumer of healthcare advocacy, but a good advocate for it. So I think that's going to change. The other part that I believe would be very effective is to have program directors that do it a lot and do it well to mentor other program directors. There's no reason for us to reinvent the wheel. We all want our students to be successful. We all want CRNAs to have a seat at the table. I think we we can do a better job helping each other. Angie, what advice would you give to other program directors um, to possibly create desire and engagement 
in advocacy for their students? The first part is empowerment. What I have found over a lot of years of teaching healthcare policy is that students are a little bit afraid to get started. So when I, the first modules that I do with healthcare policy is we start pretty simple and we lay down the foundation of legislation. I even use Schoolhouse Rock. Everybody can remember that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that they all, I know it's kind of, well, this generation has not seen it as much as those of us that have been around, <laughs> but that creates in them the knowledge of, okay, now I know, I know how the system works. Then the next thing that I do is I make it kind of fun and I use social media and I use all of those skills that, that this generation really has. And I have them look up their legislators and try and find personal connections so that they understand that their legislators are people just like they are. And that helps, I think, with some of that, that fear also. So once they have that piece where they feel empowered to do something, and then the next thing that we work on really is using health services research. Information is power. How do we look at, how do we look at research and how do we use that in advocacy? So a a variety of things that are both really kind of cerebral and things that are using social media and um, Googling them to find what are their interests, the legislators. Now, I will tell you this from my experience here in North Carolina. It, to me, seems that the older CRNAs, and I guess I should quantify that. Can we say more mature? Yes, because I am an older CRNA. are a little bit have more trepidation about going to lobby if it's their first time but i am telling you the millennials are afraid of nothing and they will just jump right in there that's why i think that our our uh, profession is in good hands going forward no matter what some people may say because the millennials are not afraid oh yeah i'll do it no problem And they come in with a much different sense of volunteerism that I saw 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. We see a lot more of them that come in that want to be engaged in global health. And that fits really well with advocacy. And that's the way that you can get that that group engaged. The other thing, and I'm really glad you said that, Sharon, how you mentioned some of the differences between generations, is one of the other things that we shouldn't be afraid of doing is it shouldn't have to be a more experienced, more mature CRNA always mentoring a new CRNA is I think we can flip it and we can take advantage of having a newer CRNA that maybe understands all the ways to get information, has had content in their program and have them mentor the more experienced, more mature CRNA. I think we get some really interesting long-term mentoring and networking by not just sticking in the old that if you've done it longer, you do all the mentoring, but flip it. Mm. It's something that's called reverse mentoring, and I think it would work really well in healthcare policy and advocacy. Wow, I like that. Mm. I know we did a live podcast taping at the North Carolina State Meeting, and before we started, we had people raise their hands who did not know what a podcast was or how to subscribe. So, obviously, it was seasoned CRNAs by and large 70% of our listeners are between the age of 23 and 34 and so whenever we had all the CRNAs who didn't know how to access the podcast and subscribe raise their hand we said okay all of the students you go to where a hand is raised right now and so it was kind of a reverse mentoring in that regard I guess yeah, and Sharon, you know, maybe I could be your mentor and you could be my mentee. We could have reverse 
mentoring right here. There you go. What do you think about that? That sounds a little odd since your wife was my mentee. Exactly. See, reverse. Uh, now, Angie, you, you kind of, you always say you kind of fell into national leadership. How did you fall in? So as a, as a student in the program that I was in, my nurse anesthesia program didn't talk about the ANA. We definitely didn't talk about healthcare policy, and nobody ever went to mid-year. Wow. But when I came back and I had the opportunity to work at the VA, one of the ways that you can make more money, because typically VA CRNAs are uh, underpaid, I'll, I'll, put, I'll put it that way, and my boss at the time, Ken Wetchin, said, well, Angie, if you run for a national office in the Association of VA Nurse Anesthetists, you get to move up on the scale and you'll make more money. Hmm. So I thought, great, that'd be amazing. So what happened is I got into healthcare policy, probably the reason that other people do was for the money. <laughs> and then once I got involved and had some really amazing personal experiences including testifying at the U.S. House of Representatives, I was sold. And I've been involved ever since. So I, I thank Ken for uh, pushing me into into doing something in leadership, and then healthcare policy really came with that. But I had zero intention at the time. Wow. Well, you know, again, how would you, you know, because I do hear this quite often, and even since we've been doing the podcast, some of my current clients you know, they'll say, you know, you got a lot of political stuff on there. And, you know, we just don't want to be involved in that. And I hear that from a lot of CRNAs. And I guess that's why, you know, what basically there's what five to 10% of CRNAs that are kind of upholding the duties of the ANA and the stuff that needs to be done. How do you address that? I mean, what would you say to a CRNA who said to you, I just don't like all that political stuff, Angie? So the first thing is politics is not a four letter word. Uh, politics really is a way to achieve policy, and it's a way that we can make sure that policy that's going forward, it doesn't have to necessarily be us against them, CRNAs versus our physician anesthesiologist colleagues, but how can we be involved in ways that influence the health of people in the United States? So I don't think that it has to be all of that um, headbutting and the things that we see within our political climate. So what do we as healthcare providers need to do to improve healthcare? And to me, that you, if you frame it in, in that way versus a us versus them, but rather a how do we get us all of us together in our role as healthcare leaders to improve healthcare? I think you can put it that way too, and not always bring around the the we need to have full scope of practice and you don't. But how can we ensure greater access to care to people that don't have it? And the way we do that is make sure we have more providers. Well, did that answer your question, Jeremy? You know, yeah, absolutely. To jump off what you just said, we need to be involved in the policy making, not just the implementation of policies that somebody else make for us. And this is the way to do it. You know, a lot of people don't like to go and lobby even doing that but all of us are lobbyists whether you believe it or not when you were 16 and you wanted the car keys you lobbied for the way to do it you you? lobbied you lobbied for the car keys so we are all lobbyists in one way or another you made me think of something else that really fits right with what you were saying too is the first time that i got involved in writing legislation and it was as part of being president of the va association of nurse anesthetists And all we were looking for was to increase the pay scale for CRNAs so that we had better recruitment and retention. 
And I was there as a CRNA who has knowledge about VA CRNAs. Mm-hmm. And then the policymakers are the ones that help you put the language there. So never forget that we are the expertise. And then with policymaking, we provide the expertise of CRNAs, and they help us put the language together to get um, legislation moved forward. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm always a big advocate. I think that in what I do for a living, you know, I've found that financial reasons always motivate people. And I've said this over and over and over again, that we, we as an industry, and I include myself in this because I'm so ingrained for CRNAs, we don't do a good job of making that being known to the average CRNA out there of what the ramifications are if the anesthesiologist got what they really wanted and basically break it down to their pocketbook, their local level. So I think you're spot on with that, Angie. And the other thing I would say is, you know, what if they didn't want to be involved at a national level, but what are things that they might can do, and I'll throw it out to both of you, of more of a local level to kind of move some of this advocacy forward? So I think it, it politics is local. It really is. And I think back to some of the colleagues that I worked with that started on Uh, Amy Klobuchar's campaign the first time that she ran for Senate. And he was a student of mine back at the Minneapolis VA, and he knocked on doors and worked in her office and handed out flyers and really really cut his teeth or learned how to do healthcare policy at that level. And now look, Amy Klobuchar was just um, the New York Times, um, New York Times, one of the big newspapers is saying that she really would be a good person to be a Democratic nominee for president. Mm -hmm. So start at the local level. You can call the office of the person who's running for your state representative and say, I want to get involved. What can I do for you? I look at uh, Sharon's work that she's done in North Carolina, and it was just that grassroots effort, CRNA is working together, getting the word out. And that, I think, is where you start. Good contacts. So, Angie, it sounds like, you know, just basically telling your story, because isn't it Sandy who said, if you're not telling your story someone else is Amen. and so i think if our crnas are listening out there and your younger crna is you need to be telling your story not just to political folks but to anybody who will listen and i think that might be a good way to to kind of start yeah, to share who you story. are yeah. and what you do yeah, well, I know that, you know, this week I'm, I'm in a local rotary here in North Carolina. And, you know, I actually had Dr. Riker in to talk about nurse anesthesia and what you guys do. There's a lot of folks in my rotary who have no idea what a nurse anesthetist is. There's a couple because there's a couple physician anesthesiologists in there. But um, but he he treaded lightly on that subject. And uh, but, you know, I mean, going out there and telling your story and, and letting people hear what you do on a daily basis so that you're not the best-kept secret well, in healthcare. you're not just lobbying legislators. You're lobbying the public in, right. in that particular instance. I used to speak at Rotary Clubs all the time. They're always looking for speakers. Yeah. And one of them, I titled it, Do You Know Who You're Sleeping With? Whoa. And I mean, it, <laughs> but the room was very full. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I came out with, what a nurse anesthetist is. Yeah. But 
I mean, I, I think that's great. It's um, it's always good to tell your story and, and you know, CRNAs out there. It doesn't always have to be at the political level. You know, I think we all know that that things are sold in public opinion at all times. I mean, you look at the presidency, you look at the Senate, you look at any of the races locally. It's the court of public opinion is what matters. And, uh, you know, I think if CRNAs can tell that story, not only there, they're helping the cause. Well, Angie brought up the student that went door knocking. When I ran for office, that was the hardest thing for me to get people to help volunteer to do. But it was one of the most fun things that we did. Do you want to tell the story about the guy that chased you out of the yard with the gun? (laughs) That's not true. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I I thought we were going to get some dirt here. Story. (laughs) It is not. Um, No, it was a it was a great experience, and you know. Angie even came from South Carolina, drove to North Carolina right, for my kickoff yeah. event whenever yeah. I announced my candidacy publicly. So thank you for doing that, yeah, Angie. Angie. you just seem to show up everywhere. You know, I, anytime I'm around, I always see Angie. So she does a, a great job, and she's definitely an advocate. And, you know, as you are, well, too, I, I think it's somewhat I think it's more than just telling your story. It's telling the story of the CRNA. And that's why when Sharon's been involved is I think part of my job as a CRNA is to make sure other people know that when CRNAs are running for office, they're doing it for the right reasons, and they're doing it to improve, you know, their whole district that they live in, and we need to have more CRNAs out there doing it. Well, you know, you're you're not just taking care of one patient. You're taking care of a lot of patients at a time if you're involved at that level. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Angie, I think this has been great. We want to thank you for being with us today. Is there anything you'd like to conclude on or wrap up as we kind of close the show out? So I guess the main thing I would say is being involved in healthcare advocacy, as far as nursing, it isn't just a privilege, it's a responsibility. One of the things I tell my students all the time and other CRNAs is we really have three things that we need to do as a professional CRNA. We either give our time, we give our money, or we give both, and there really is no other option than that. So with that, I hope all of you that are listening take some of the things that I've had to say, and I look forward to seeing you on the campaign trail in the halls of the state and the federal legislature and joining us at Mid-Year Assembly. Absolutely. Good advice. All right. Well, Sharon, I think that's a wrap. We want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mass with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our other episodes on iTunes or Podbean or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review, but only if it's positive. There you go. Until next time. It's a wrap. Today's show was made possible by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com.
And thanks for your support of Beyond the Mask. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. Like what you're hearing? Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.